Welcome to the History of Alchemy podcast. My name is Travis Dow. And I'm Pete Coleman from the Bohemican podcast. So today we're going to talk about Pseudo-Democritus. Pseudo-Democritus was a guy that just signed his name Democritus. And to, to give you, the listeners, a good idea or a good way to never confuse the two, we're going to break down both a little bit. So Democritus, the original Democritus, was born in Abdera in Thrace, which was an Ionian colony of, of Teos. And some people sometimes call him Milesian, which that's just a that's just where a lot of philosophers came from. So um, he was born in the 80th Olympiad, which means somewhere between 460 and 457 BC. Now that's important because that's a good 600 years before Pseudo Democritus. So there's your first clue that it's not one guy. Um, this makes him a pre-Socratic philosopher. Democritus was a philosopher and a student of Lucipus who came up with the idea of atoms, that everything is made up of tiny, indestructible things, if you will. Yeah. We don't – yeah, let's just say things. This is his viewpoint at the time. Um, I want to say elements because that is kind of what we would call them today, but atoms and elements were very different to the ancient Greeks. Yeah. Uh, one might think that the, discussing this guy who came up with the concept of atoms might be significant to the history of, of chemistry – and therefore alchemy, but that would be a rookie mistake. Well, yeah, I, I mean... <laughs> this yeah, gets no, confusing. When I say the guy found, he found the concept of atoms, eh... No, that, yeah, that's, that's fine, but... Um, yeah, no, I think that's true. That, that, that's an, an easy mistake to make. He, he might be, you know, a father of chemistry, but to say he's a father of alchemy, that's just... This, is probably, this yeah. is probably why Pseudo-Democritus wrote his signed his name like that but yeah no they just had nothing in common it's just there's just no connection there whatsoever so um, to go further in depth with this he mentioned we mentioned that he did not come up with atoms as a part of molecules and chemical reactions i, uh, I think that's the key right there yeah i yeah. think that that might you underline that in your brain right there because that that really says it all he came up with a theory of atom as a counter argument to his predecessors that said motion was impossible because um, basically, they would say, okay, I'm going to walk from here to the wall, which means first I have to walk halfway to the wall, which means then at first to do that, I have to walk halfway to halfway to the wall. Then I have, you know, but before I can do that, I have to walk an eighth of the way to the wall. Before I do that, I have to walk a sixteenth of the way to the wall, and so on to infinity, which therefore means motion's impossible. And Democritus might be one of one of the clever guys that say, oh, yeah, walking to the wall is impossible. Yeah. Oh, well, then watch, watch this. Watch this, right. Yeah. So... <laughs> Um, there was another thought experiment that, that had the same thing as saying, so if you cut a giraffe in half, then you can cut them into quarters, then you can cut them into eighths, and so on, infinitely. And Democritus said, no, eventually you get down to the atomic level, and that is no longer cuttable. So it's not infinite, it's just a very, very large number. Did he use That's where the theory of atoms comes from, not anything to do with molecules or chemicals per se. So he was just, you know, counter-arguing a previous philosopher. So that's why some might call him the father of chemistry and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, what he did, he, he was very clever and smart and cool. But um, there's a lot of, especially when you look back, knowing the, the science that we know today, and you look at these ancient, ancient Greeks, you say, oh, they were on to something. Because... Um, yeah, even alchemists, you know, people make this mistake a lot. They say, well, you know, they actually were onto something because um, with particle accelerators, we can change mercury into gold. 
So, and they actually, you can actually use uh, ions of mercury, like mercury ions, to do this. So you would think, oh, they were onto something. But with the methods that they used, they, they just, that was not possible. So um, it's a false kind of relationship that just isn't true. So it's, it's oversimplifying something here. Um, that's kind of the point I wanted to make. Okay, a couple of quick, quick uh, points that are, that are really interesting. And uh, I have to give a shout-out to um, Peter Adamson from the History of Philosophy podcast because, you know, he helped me clear a lot of this up just by listening to his shows. So that's a great podcast, by the way. There's a couple of myths and legends about Democritus, and one was that his father was so wealthy that he received Xerxes in his march through Abdera. Um, he supposedly traveled to Asia and even reached India and Ethiopia. He wrote on Babylon and Moreau. He visited Egypt. He might have even lived in Egypt for five years. There's another story. He became acquainted with Chaldean Magi, and we'll talk about kind of what that means in a different episode when we talk about uh, Babylonian astrology and that kind of thing. And here, some of these myths might sound, or some of these stories, I don't, I'm not going to call them myths, but some of these stories sound very similar to the several Asthenes that we mentioned. Kind of inter interesting. Another tidbit about him is that Plato hated him so much that he wanted his books burned. That's, that's, some, that's some hatred right yeah. there. Yeah, so by the time it came to, to actually the Socratic times and Plato and Aristotle, he, you know, Plato apparently had a bone to pick. And this is interesting. Pliny the Elder deplored him as a student of Austenes and magic. Which is, that's almost enough reason to put him on the show right here. But Pliny the Elder deplored him, right? So yeah. So you're kind of like, oh, that, that cheap magician. <laughs> yeah. um, There's a lot of anger here, a lot of latent anger. Yeah. I just kind of wanted to give you a taste of this guy so you can easily tell him apart from Pseudo-Democritus. There's stories, so if you hear about him going blind... That's because some say he was he kind of became blind in old age. Others say he blinded himself to be less disturbed by his pursuits, to be kind of live like more of an aesthetic lifestyle. Um, but like he's like I said, it might have just happened naturally in old age. Uh, he was cheerful. In fact, they sometimes his fellow citizens would call him the mocker, or he's known as the laughing philosopher. He always he was ready to see the comical side of life. You know, he's kind of cheerful. But some people say that that's because he laughed at the foolish, foolishness of people. It's a kind of a slapstick sort of, or or, or, or sarcastic. I, I I don't know if how, how to take that. Yeah, something you like that. You know, yeah. I, you, you look at uh, historical figures at these times, and everyone seemed very very serious. Like you didn't want to go get a beer with these guys after work, right? Yeah. So he was Socrates. A goofy... I don't know if I would Plato. I don't know. I think I'd, I'd be like, "Can you leave the work at home? Can we just have a beer?" This guy, I think, we could actually and, sit down. And he'd and... be like, "How do you know beer exists?" Yeah, like, like, I could just go. On, oh, I'll be like, "Watch this." I got this. a headache. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> can we leave it? Can we leave it at home? Uh, so, yeah. So I think this guy might have been. Uh, you know, Democritus might have been a good guy to kind of hang out. Yeah, with. Yeah. So he took it exactly. So he he took things more lighter and and um, so his. You know, some of his theories were maybe against these silly thought experiments saying, like, listen, you can't chop a giraffe into infinite pieces. You know, somewhere it's got to stop. Or, I can't walk to the wall, really? Uh, yeah, so, and now, Pseudo-Democritus, jump ahead about 600 years or so. He was a 2nd century A.D. Greek philosopher and the second most respe respected writer on alchemy after none other than Hermes Trismegistus. And he is one of the alchemists mentioned by Zosimus of Panopolis. 
So second century, that's, that's a good, let's say, 300 years before Zosimos of Panopolis. This, you know, if, if, if Pseudo-Democritus did live at that time, we normally start off alchemy, for the purpose of the show, we, we started off in the 4th century AD. So this could actually bring it back to the 2nd century AD. Well, Travis, you know, to, to, to clarify a little something that you said a few minutes ago, um, there are some things that do survive from uh, Pseudo-Democritus, and, and two of his works uh, have survived the test of time, and that would be The Physical and the Mystical Matters, and the book addressed to Lycippus, which we mentioned uh, he was a student of. So um, he wrote many other books that were quoted extensively by Zosimos of Panopolis, and he, he is mentioned, of course, uh, in the Stockholm Papyrus. So the first book we just mentioned uh, is called The Physical and Mystical Matters, uh, describes an art purported to relate to the transmutation of metals and described in the terminology at once physical and mystical level, branding him as uh, an alchemist for the first time and provides a straightforward recipe for making imitation gold and silver alloys. Pretty interesting stuff. The key word here is straightforward. This this is, there's, there's not so much of this... Uh, weird allegories and hidden messages. This is like straight up, these are like chemical recipes, which I thought was really interesting. Which I would imagine people kind of flock to because uh, they wouldn't have to translate or decipher. Well, yeah, these were, okay, but here's here's the interesting point is that he was making no pretense to make things that appear like gold. So he wasn't saying I'm going to create the philosopher's stone, but um, I think that's, when you come to medieval times, they're after the philosopher's stone. Straight yeah, up. They, they want gold. And in the yeah. line of Zosimos, like Zosimos is more into metallurgy than the stone itself. Um, and then obviously Pseudo-Democritus, he's saying, listen, you want to make things that appear like gold? Here's what you do. And he had many, many recipes. Okay, so he describes in how to make these metals appear like gold. Now, if you want to get out your piece of paper and pen, we can actually go down this right now, and maybe you might have the, the same luck he had. Um Whiten copper by using arsenic and then gold powder. Don't try that one at home, though. You, the, yeah. We don't, well, yeah, we don't, listen. <laughs> listen, we take no responsibility if you blow up your house. Go to your kitchen, <laughs> smear arsenic all over your face, try to inhale a little bit. No one said alchemy was going to be easy and, or safe. And okay? uh, here's no my lawyer's number. Yeah. <laughs> all right, here's another one. Silver sulfide with lead sulfide turns to gold. Right, copper pyrite with salt and silver or gold, alloy of tin and lead with sulfur or arsenic on gold. Here's a few other ones: silver with sulfur, copper with lead, copper and silver with sulfide of iron. Using wine and rhubarb to varnish silver to look like gold. That's interesting. Um, or crocus flower, or even or varnish lead from dirt from Chios, which is an Aegean island. So th- there's he's giving you ideas here. Pseudo-democracy yeah, is giving you ideas here on how to make things to look like gold. There was there was one gross one, which is white and copper, then yellow it with the bile of a calf. Yeah, and, see, I don't and, know. Um, I think someone's going to look at that, smell it, and say that's not gold. But there was also like <laughs> like silver or bronze with an amalgam of iron. So kind of interesting. So, I mean, these were all kind of yellow. You, you know, you have some metal and they would then become yellow. He had the same... Just as an extensive list on how to make, quote, silver, and same sort of thing. So, you know, you shine lead really well, that, you know, that kind of thing. So, Travis, what was the point of this? Was, was he trying to give instruction for others to pass something off as precious metals that they knowingly knew well, they were not? So, okay, so this is 
Yeah, I, to put this in the time period, I, I don't want to say he's training charlatans here. I would say that um, a lot of times, if something looked and felt and was heavy, like gold, to all intents and purposes, um, you know, I think we've touched on this before, but you know, they had a they they knew how to tell the purity of gold, even in ancient times, and uh, you know, and, and even things like the touchstone test, you know, to to see what gold looks like or to see if it if it, you know how much of it is pure gold, but. For all intents and purposes, if it, if it looked like gold, it's, I yeah, I think it well, was. Well, maybe maybe you can help me out with this. Good enough. It, it, if you wanted something, jewelry or some sort of um, measurement of wealth, it had to be the real thing. But what if you used the varnish-like techniques that he's talking about here for gilding sort of columns that you knew didn't necessarily have to be gold, but look gold, so it made things look important, like in architecture or. In some false jewelry, maybe, you know, is is that something that yeah. was 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 uh, sought after That's, at the time? Uh, yeah, I think that was sought after, maybe not just as much, but but just about. I mean, if it could if it could fool at a at a casual glance, it was gold. I mean, you know, uh, take that with a grain of salt. But but yeah, to some extent, absolutely. Like I, I know we talked about Midas before, but um, part of, part of where the legend comes from is because the natural alloys in his mines might have created more of a brass than a bronze and that was hey he was that was gold that was you know he he got a huge reputation from this i'm thinking of ancient rome at the time you know and if you were going to city of of rome you would see and we we look at it today in, in ruins and we see kind of you know blase sort of uh colors of of old you know, uh, marble. Uh, but at the time things were, were, were colorful and very decorated, sure. um, and painted. And so we're, we're looking at the opulence of Rome and I can, I can actually see that there probably would be a, a you know, a need for this, a trade yeah. for this, right? Yeah, sure. Um, so that's basically it. So we just want to, to summarize one more time, Democritus, pre-Socratic philosopher, pseudo-Democritus who went by Democritus. So, you know, if you, if you read about an alchemist called Democritus, you're talking about pseudo-Democritus, and he lived some six, seven hundred years later using the same name. So a lot of this was just quotes by Zosimos, and he, even Zosimos lived some hundred, two hundred years later. So, um, yeah, I think this is a good example of someone that wrote his recipes in plain text, didn't hide what he was doing, wasn't a charlatan because he was telling people what he was doing. Straightforward, as we said. As, yeah. as far as I know from, from what I got out of this. Um, so um, clearly an alchemist in the traditional sense, but, but this is something that might expand our definition of alchemy a little bit. Um, I've, I've gotten into some dis- discussions here with listeners or, or people el- elsewhere that you know define alchemists as they had one purpose. They were after the philosopher's stone. And uh, I think we have a couple examples now that says, well, depending on what time, you know, look, we're talking about, what, like 1,400 years? In his case, if you span all of alchemy up until Isaac Newton, we're talking more about, you know, 1,500 years, 1,600 years possibly, depending on where the cutoff date is. So clearly there was a huge space and time, you know, geographically and culturally and, um, you know, over, over centuries. So it's hard to pigeonhole these people as saying they were after one thing, they were all after the same thing, they all did it the same way. That's just not true. So they did, it was not one set of knowledge that they passed from father to son or from apprentice, you know, expert to apprentice. No, there was a lot of 
varying degrees of what people were after and um, their their goals and aims. And um, sure, we get to a point where it's basically all about the Philosopher's Stone, but he, also, wasn't, he wasn't there yet. We're also very lucky to have uh, text written, for instance, by Zosimos of Panopolis that felt the need to write these things down, or these guys might have been lost to history or even more confused uh, of, of exactly if this was one or two different men. And we know now from the dating of this and, and from, from these texts that, of course, there's um, you know, you know, 700 years difference between the two. Uh, so we have that form of education from these guys. But that's all dependent upon what's, what's kept as, as uh, text and what's lost to history. And, and luckily, uh, when we talk about alchemy, we have a lot of people that write biographies about these people and exactly what they've done so that we can uh, further understand about how this all kind of played on itself uh, from one, one person to another uh, imparting knowledge. Yep. So, so it, very, again, very interesting. This show is always full of this type of information. It's full of something. It's full of it's, – we don't know what it is, but it's full of something. All right. Well, that's uh, pretty much it for Studio Democritus. So once again, and Democritus. And Democritus. So once again, thank you very much for listening. Thanks, guys. You've been listening to the History of Alchemy podcast with Travis Dow and Pete Coleman. For more information about this episode, other episodes, and other information about alchemy, alchemists, and related subjects, visit historyofalchemy.com. Find us on iTunes, subscribe, review, and don't forget to rate us. We'd love to hear from you. Send your comments, ideas, and corrections to podcast at historyofalchemy.com or get in touch via Facebook on the History of Alchemy podcast page or Twitter at Alchemy Podcast. Tune in to our sister podcast all about the Czech Republic, Bohemican, which is also available on iTunes or on bohemican.com. Until next time on the History of Alchemy podcast, thank you for listening. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.